Nehemiah 12, beginning at 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and, and from the villages of the Nephtathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zacher, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milali, Gilali, Maai, Nethanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra, the scribe, went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshinah, and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate, and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. And the priests, Eliakim, Messiah, Minoim, Micaiah, Eloi, Zechariah, and Hananiah, with trumpets. And Messiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehonan, Melchijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezraniah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits and the tithes to gather them into the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns, for Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Uh, really good to keep your Bible open there uh, in Nehemiah 12. Uh, today we are coming to the end of the series, uh, looking at this book of Nehemiah. Uh, somebody asked me on the way in whether this was the grand finale. 
Um, let's just say it's the finale, and we'll see how grand it is uh, in, in a little bit. Um, but it is time that we bring this series to a close because the number of people willing to do Bible readings is shrinking each and every week um, uh, for fear that they're going to be given a list of names like Andrew did uh, and yet did so wonderfully well. Um, this book has, I found, I, I trust that you found as well, ha- has been a great encouragement to think about the kingdom building that God has been about and is still about today in his church, through his church, in our lives, uh, and through us. And today we're going to kind of come to the final celebration of that, that building work. So let's pray before we jump in. Lord God, we thank you that we have had this last couple of months looking at this book of Nehemiah. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for the great work that you did in that day, that great building, restoring, reforming work. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are still about that today, both in us and through us. Father God, we we humbly pray that you would do that again this morning, that you would build your kingdom, that you would renew us and transform us through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, I wonder whether you have ever been part of a large crowd of people that was all cheering together for something. There's something very powerful and quite moving about that experience, even if you're not really into large crowds. Uh, Tracy and I were living in London at the time of the millennium, where 1999 clicked over to 2000, and it was cold and it was wet and it was miserable and it was dark by four o'clock in the afternoon. But we went towards midnight along the River Thames where it was estimated that there were over a million people all, all gathered at that moment. And when that, that minute clicked over to 2000, the cheer, the, the, the buzz, the excitement through that crowd was quite amazing. Imagine being at the MCG on grand final day when your team wins at that final siren. The buzz, the excitement, that feeling of exuberance. Now, I realize as I say that, for some people, that sounds like absolute torture. Uh, so maybe, maybe picture something different, listening to some great music, uh, being there at a graduation where everybody cheers and claps and yells out for something incredible that has happened. When that happens, it's hard not to get caught up in the excitement. It's hard not to feel something of that buzz, to shout and cheer, even for things that we might not normally. Now this morning we are looking at such an occasion in the life of Israel in the days of Nehemiah as we come towards the end of this book. It is a very special occasion for God's people to come together and to celebrate. But it's also a very unique occasion. Unlike anything else that we will experience in any other context. This is not an occasion where people come together to mark the clocking over of a new year or the winning of a sports team. It's not even coming together to celebrate 
the work of Nehemiah and those who were building with him. It's not coming together to celebrate a great piece of music. This is a very special celebration that only people who know God get to experience. This is a celebration of worship. A celebration of what God has done. Joyful, musical, communal worship of God. You see, as people who know God through Jesus, we have a unique and privileged type of celebration. One that is actually not available to people who don't know Jesus yet. We have the wonderful, unique privilege of worship. Now, we all know that all of life is worship, isn't it? That we will worship as we leave God here today. We'll worship him at work tomorrow as we're raising the kids, as we're gardening, as we're driving. Everything we do in life as as, as followers of Jesus is worship. But there is a unique celebration that we get to have when God's people get together to celebrate what God has done to worship him. Now, I don't want to suggest this morning that this passage is a prescriptive passage, that it prescribes the way that you and I are to worship. If that were the case, we'd have to have two bands and two choirs and we'd have to kind of probably start somewhere out there on the the gravel and march Two groups, one around each side of the building. When we get to the other side, we'd have to sacrifice and do, do things like that. This is not a prescriptive passage which tells us exactly what we're to do. It's describing a unique time of worship in the life of Israel. But that doesn't mean there's nothing for us to learn. And I want to focus this morning on four aspects of this worship that are important for us to wrestle with, that encourage us, that spur us on together to worship God. The first thing we want to notice here is the occasion. What is it that causes them to come together for this time of worship? Well, it starts there in verse 27, and it makes it quite clear. And at the dedication of the wall in Jerusalem. This is brought about... because it's the time for the dedication of that wall. Now, we focused on that in the first half of the book of Nehemiah, but the wall had actually been finished by about chapter 6 or chapter 7. Here they hold off, though, the dedication of it. We don't don't get a time stamp, so we don't know how long it took, but it's likely that this is two or three months later after the completion of that wall. They get together to celebrate Not their work in building the wall, but God's work. But there's also much more. I want you to jump back with me to the previous book of the Bible, which is the book of Ezra. Ezra and Nehemiah, they're sort of like twin books. They they go together, they're sort of one after the other. Look at how the book of Ezra starts. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah 
might be fulfilled, the Lord, dot, dot, dot. Do you see what they're getting together? It is the end of a great project, a great work that God himself had been doing. That God himself had promised through Jeremiah and had been working at amongst them. What was that work? Well, when Ezra started, they were living as exiles in a foreign land. What had God done? He'd brought them back in three different stages. He'd stirred in the hearts of foreign kings who did not know God, who did not recognize him, to allow them to come back. God had been at work, and it's in the book of Ezra, to rebuild a damaged, destroyed temple. Through Ezra, he'd begun the work of reforming them, of renewing them. In Nehemiah, he had come, they had come back even more. They had rebuilt the wall of the temple. And more than that, God had been at work renewing them, restoring them, and we saw the recommitments that they made last week. And all of this had come in the midst of great difficulty. Foreign kings who were opposed. People who were discouraged and downhearted. Opponents who who sought to try and stop them in God's work that was going on. But in spite of all that, God had been faithful, had kept his word, and had done what he'd promised. And so they come together not to celebrate their achievements and what they had done, but because of their God, who was their king and their savior. God had rescued them and restored them. Now in the New Testament, and in the church, this pattern is taken up by the early church, and it's been the pattern ever since. In the New Testament, the day set aside for the church to be together and to celebrate was moved from the Sabbath day, as it was in the Old Testament, to the first day of the week. Now, why was that? Is that because everybody had that day off and they decided, well, that's a good day to get together? Well, no. Because it was the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. They get together in this pattern to remember and to celebrate all that God had done in Christ. That he has rescued. That he's sent Jesus as our saviour. That he suffered and died and he raised to conquer conquer death. It marks a day when God has done an even greater work in rescuing us. You see, when we meet together, when we we come together for worship, this is what we are celebrating. This is what we are worshipping God for. It's all about God and what he has done for us in Christ. He's the reason why we meet. He's the reason why we sing and we celebrate. He's the one that even calls us to come together for this very purpose. And this starts to shape what we do and how we do it. Now, all of us here, we've, we've been invited to a birthday party at some point or another. I, I'm sure of it. I hope so. If you've never been invited to a birthday, that's pretty, 
pretty sad, and I shouldn't have said what I just said. But, you know, I, I guess that most of us here have been invited to a birthday before. Now, imagine, though, you got invited to a birthday party. But yet, at that birthday party, nothing about the birthday was mentioned. That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? You sort of just, people hang out, have a great time, but there's like no presents, no cake, no banner, no singing. It's just kind of like the birthday part of it is forgotten. That would be weird, wouldn't it? You see, the, the reason for getting together to celebrate something shapes how that celebration takes place. And if we're getting together because God has rescued us, saved us, because God is worthy of our worship, then it's going to shape what we do together. We have a God who is majestic and powerful, who is holy and mighty, who is worthy of our worship. And he has done the most incredible thing. He has called us out of darkness, out of slavery to sin, out of death, into his marvelous light. I wonder if that's on our minds and on our hearts when we gather together on a Sunday morning. I wonder on those Sunday mornings when we're deciding whether or not we will come, whether that is at the forefront of our minds and our hearts. I wonder as we walk up the driveway, we're remembering why we are coming together. That we have a God who is worthy of our worship. A God who has saved us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Well, that really brings us to the second thing that we want to notice here and want to highlight, and that's the preparation that takes place. It's there, if you look in your Bibles, at verses 27 uh, to verse 30. The first part of that preparation is that they gather together, uh, in verse 27, 28, 29, all of uh, the Levites and all of the singers and all of the musicians. So they kind of get together all of the people uh, who are going to be involved in leading uh, this time of worship for Israel. Not only that, but they're also gathering together people from, from the surrounding areas. This is not just a small event. This is kind of a large, mass-scale event of celebration of worship of God. But notice the second part of that preparation that they have there. It's there in verse 30. It says, And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Now, we don't know exactly what that purification entailed. We can probably make some calculated guesses from what we have in the books of Leviticus uh, and Numbers. It possibly involved uh, sacrifice, uh, sprinkling with blood, uh, washing with water, maybe, maybe abstaining from, from sexual relationships. But whatever it is, there is this clear idea that for the people to be together and to worship God, they needed to be pure. They needed to be cleansed. 
We looked at that in, verse, in uh, Psalm 24 before, didn't we? Who, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in, in the holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. To worship God, we need to be right with him. And the great news that we have is that this preparation has been done for us. It's not a ritual that we need to perform on a Saturday night or on a Sunday morning. You know, one idea is we could, we could run the sprinklers at the RTC front lawn on a Sunday morning and everybody could sort of walk through and sort of get this, this washing. But it's not necessary. Because God has done the work of purifying us. These things here were signs, they, they were symbols that pointed forward to the great work that God would do in our Saviour Jesus. That he would prepare us for worship by cleansing us. The book of Hebrews puts that so clearly in Hebrews chapter 10 where it says, Therefore, brothers and brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened to us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with true, a true heart and in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Incredible news. God is the one who prepares us, who's made it possible in Jesus for us to worship him. He's done that by cleansing our lives. He's done that in Christ, sacrificing himself for us. So what does our preparation look like then when we, when we come together? Do we, do we just rock up? Well, let me say this. I'm going to answer this from two sides. There is no ritual to perform. There's no process to go through in order to, in to be made ready. That is done for us already in Christ. Now, I, I have a, a kind of Sunday morning routine. And I realize that my Sunday mornings are a little bit different to everybody else's Sunday mornings and there's a bit other preparation that goes on. But I, I have a bit of a routine that I go through on Sunday mornings to be ready to preach and to be ready for, for worship together. And sometimes I can find myself, myself getting very stressed out if I don't go kind of through the same routine and pattern every Sunday morning. And I need to be reminded that it's not my ritual that makes me ready. It's not my pattern that prepares me for worship or prepares me to preach. That work is done by Christ. He made us ready. He makes us ready to be together and to worship him. And we don't need anything else. My life is acceptable to God. My status is certain because Jesus did that work for us. But that, does that mean then that we just rock up and we don't think about it? Well, I want to suggest the answer to, all, to that is also no. We want to come filled with the good news that Jesus has made us right with God. We want to come together with our hearts at peace 
because our hearts find their insurance in the finished work of Jesus. We want to be ready to sing and rejoice and to encourage each other and declare our love for God to be renewed and recommit to living for him because our lives, our hearts are overflowing with God's work for us in Jesus. Now, there might be things that we do to help that, to encourage that. We might set aside some time to pray or to read God's words, time to be alone, and they could be a great thing. And we remember that it's not the ritual that prepares us. It's Jesus and what he has done. So I wonder, church, I wonder how prepared we are and ready we are to worship God together on a Sunday. I wonder whether we have our hearts prepared by God, by the Holy Spirit, as we spend time reflecting on his power, his majesty, his love, the great sacrifice that Jesus has made. Imagine the difference. People coming together, their hearts filled, overflowing with the wonder of who God is and what he has done. Filled with the awesomeness of God, the incredible privilege that it is to worship. With hearts that are at peace with God because we found our hope and our certainty and our security in Jesus. If this is not something that we do, can I encourage you to give it a go? Don't rely on the ritual. That's not going to do it. But the focus on Christ. The focus on God and his glory, on the gospel of Jesus. Readying us, preparing us to come together. All right, so we've looked at the occasion. Uh, we've looked at the preparation. So what, what do we actually do? What does worship look like? Well, what they did is spelled out here in verse 27 in brief, and then it's explained throughout the passage. It says that the dedication of the wall... They came together to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. They're coming together to celebrate at the dedication of the wall and to give thanksgiving to God. There's musicians, singers uh, working together. And the rest of the passage, we have that kind of spelled out how they did it. Uh, they come together. They all start on one side of the new wall that they have just built. They're split into two groups. Uh, each group has a choir, musicians, a leader, and other singers. And they both head off in opposite directions around the wall, sometimes on top of it, sometimes next to it. And then they come back together on the other side in the temple courts. And there they sacrifice, and there they sing to God. Their worship is deliberate, and it's purposeful. And if our chief purpose in life is to worship God, to bring him praise, 
because he's worth it, then this is also what we're to do when we come together. To worship God because he's worthy of it. Who keeps us in his power. Who has worked and continues to work powerfully for us. Two parts of this worship here that I want us to highlight and just consider for a moment. And the first one is the central place the central place that music and singing has here in in this worship. One of the great gifts that God has given us as people created in his image is the ability to make and enjoy and to participate in music, to express ourselves in singing. And one of the great gifts that he gives his people, his church, is the ability, the privilege of worshipping him of singing to him. Now, worship is not just singing, and not all singing is worship. But really central to worship is the place of music and song to express our love and our commitment to God. Now, a couple of things about the music here that I think are worth noting. The first one here is the place of musicians and singers. They are there, and they encourage, and they lead. And I want to suggest they are not everything and they're not nothing at the same time. They're not everything in the singing. This is not a performance. These musicians and their singers are not there while everybody else enjoys the wonderful music and then claps at the end. It's not a performance. But neither are they nothing. They're not hidden away somewhere out in the back room with music being piped in. They're there to encourage to lead, to be a part of the communal singing to God. I want to notice something else as well. I want to notice that in the singing, there is great continuity with the past and with the songs of the past. A couple of references there. In one of the groups, I don't know if you noticed this when Andrew was reading through, there's a long lineage given, and it's only given for one person. And that's given to the person who was the descendant of Asaph. Asaph, if you read through the book of Psalms, wrote wrote a number of the Psalms that we have recorded in the Bible. From the time of David, he's also mentioned uh, towards the end in verse 46, that he was one of the directors of singers, and there were songs and praise and thanksgiving to God. They were singing the songs of their past, and of their history. And in particular, they were singing the songs that God had given them to worship Him. We have them recorded for us in in, in the book of Psalms uh, in the Bible. Now recently, as as actually as elders, we've we've been thinking about this a little bit, and we've been challenged to to think about whether we at South Barwon have really been honouring this as a church whether we are committed to singing the songs that God has given us to worship him. And a few months ago, we sort of, yeah, we we came to the realization that this is something we don't want to let slip and something that we, we haven't paid as much attention to as we should. We have this wonderful record of songs that followers of God have sung 
for over 3,000 years. In different languages, to different music, in different types of buildings, with different instruments. But yet these are songs that God's people have been singing since he gave them. And we get to participate in that. And there is something really special about that. And so we want to be a church that, that sings these psalms. Sings them maybe to older tunes, to newer tunes. Probably the tune itself is, is not the big deal. But that we sing the songs that God has given us to express our love, our fears, our anxieties, our, our stresses, our, our worries, our prayers to him. But you notice also that in here that they make provision for new songs as well. Towards the end of the section, it tells about the ways in which they prepare for the future. Uh, the, the, the future of their worship. And they make provision for the singers as well as the gatekeepers and as well as the priests. Because there is a desire to sing new songs to God as well. Now music can so often be a point of contention in the life of a church. And we do need to think about tastes and styles and preferences. But in the midst of that, let's not lose sight of the great gift that music and singing is. That God has enabled us to declare our love for him, our worship of him in song. And that's a wonderful gift. And as well as music and closely related to it, notice here the joy that they have in their worship. Verse 43, can't say it any clearer. You can count how many times it talks about it. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. But God had made them rejoice with great joy. And the women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Let's not miss that. There was great joy in their worship. You know, joy is actually commanded in the Bible. It's tough sometimes, isn't it? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. And sometimes we say, but I'm not very happy. Well, happiness and joy are actually two different things. Earlier in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah says to the people, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Who God is and what he has done for you, that's your strength and that's your encouragement. And that joy encompasses sorrow and hardship and struggle and anxiety and fear. But in that and throughout that, there is great joy in worshipping God together. That doesn't mean that we don't have times of seriousness or times of grief or sorrow or pouring out our cares to the Lord when we meet together. In fact, many of the Psalms have that as their theme, that, that, that pouring out of hardship to God. And many of the Psalms actually have both. They have both great joy and times of hardship and difficulty. What a great blessing God has given us as his people to meet together. We all come from weeks that are different. Weeks sometimes of great trial and difficulty and hardship. 
But as we meet together, God puts our attention on him, on his greatness and his splendor, on his love, on his power, on his provision for us, his nearness to us, day by day and week by week. All right, final thing we want to notice, and I realize this is, this is grand finale, so it can go longer. Um, last thing we want to notice here, and this is where we're going to conclude, that there is also here a, a plan for the future. Now, those last few verses from verse 48 to 47, 44 to 47, they seem a little bit jumbled. Uh, but what I want to suggest that they do on that day is they actually make a plan for worship to be central and enabled on into the future. So you notice that they appoint men over storerooms so that tithes and offerings can be gathered in. Notice that also they rejoice over the priests and the Levites who ministered. And so they make provision for that ministry to continue, that teaching, leading, singing, music ministry to continue. It talks about how they appointed these people because long ago in the days of Asaph and Japheth, David and Asaph, they were directors of singers and they were songs of praise. And from then on, they say, in those days, they made provision for this to carry on into the future. This wasn't just a one-off event. Hey, let's get together and worship. Let's make, let's make it this a central part of our lives. Now, one of the things that us meeting together on a Sunday should do, the worship that we do, should equip us for lives of worship. Sunday is not just like an island on a sea of self-centeredness, and we just each Sunday just hop from one island to the next. Worshipping together encourages us, equips us, shapes us for a life of worship to God. But it's at the end of Nehemiah here, it's actually a little bit ironic that they do this. We're not going to go into chapter 13, but it, and I encourage you to read it for yourself, but it's, it's a little bit ironic that they make provisions for this worship because in the next chapter we realize that it didn't continue. And in fact, the timelines are a bit tricky, but maybe Nehemiah goes back to where he came from, then he has to come back again 12 years later, and he has to start kind of again. Because worship has been disrupted, and the people have gone astray, and the whole reforming work needs to start again. And it's a reminder that the kingdom-building work of God continues, and it must continue in us, and through us. But it's also a reminder that one day it will come to an end. And all that will be left is worship. And in many ways, when we worship together on a Sunday, we are looking forward to an eternal worship that we will enjoy when Jesus returns. And all the kingdom building work will be done. Through us, in us, across the world, God's kingdom will be complete. Jesus will reign unhindered, unfettered, recognized. And what will be left will be worship. All of life and gathered together. From the book of Revelation it says, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb.
And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we thank you for the great blessing and gift that it is to be a worshipping people. We thank you that you are the one who invites us to worship you. You've made us right through the work of Jesus. You've given us a reason to sing, a reason for joy, a reason for celebrating. Because you are mighty, you love us, and you rescue us. Lord God, we thank you for our worship together Sunday by Sunday. We thank you, Lord, for one another and the encouragement that it is to be together. We thank you for your word, for people who minister it, for people who who lead us in singing. Lord God, we pray that our worship, Sunday by Sunday, would bring honour and praise to you. Lord God, that you would be pleased with it and that you would use it to stir our lives, stir our hearts, to turn us to you. Lord God, we look forward to the day when Jesus returns. We look forward to the day when we will worship you in eternity with all your people. In Jesus' name, amen.